Today I want to look at a verse that's in Surah Al-An'am It's uh, verse 53 uh, Whereby Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَكَذَلِكَ فَتَنَّ بَعْضُهُمْ بِبَعْضٍ لِيَقُولُ أَهَاؤُلَا إِمَنَّ اللَّهُ عَلِهِمْ مِنْ بَيْنِنَا so this verse basically says that we have tried some with others. Uh, and the result is that they say, Oh, did Allah prefer these over uh, us? Uh, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Doesn't God know who the grateful are? Doesn't he know who the shakirin are, the people of shukr? So this is I think there are several verses in the Quran that deal with this issue. Uh, we made some of you a trial for others. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, tells the Prophet to be patient about what people are saying. But I think the general idea, and there are many verses in the Quran that indicate this, that there, there's a lot of trial and tribulation in, in life on earth. So one of the trials that I wanted to look at today was the trial of of scandal the idea and scandal scandalon uh, is it's a Greek word um, and and the idea in scandal is that somebody falls who is highly regarded and then that leads to a crisis in the people that highly regarded that person so for instance recently we had in the Christian community uh, there was a huge scandal that involved a very, very popular Christian preacher who had been actually uh, one of the top evangelical preachers for, for decades. And of late it came out that this person was actually a scoundrel, that he, in fact, his own organization did an internal uh, investigative uh, study on what happened and interviewed people, saw text messages, uh, saw this corroborating evidence that indicated that the person was indeed just simply a complete, really, hypocrite. And it, it had a huge impact. I mean, it was quite stunning how many Christians actually did podcasts about it and did things. And, and so what it made me think about was these when these crises happen with celebrity uh, scholars or imams or uh, du'at, people that uh, publicly preach uh, Islam to to others, that when it turns out that there's some kind of uh, uh, shortcoming, either serious or less than serious, I mean, sometimes it's just character flaws, people get angry, uh, people, um, but sometimes it's very egregious, uh, sinful mistakes, uh, people that actually will end up abusing other people. Um, I mean, there are many examples of it. So, but a lot of people were just really distraught because they'd listened to this man for decades 
and then it turned out that they feel like they that he was a fraud that they were fooled and then it it it, it really creates a crisis internally in people about wondering who like oh, what does this mean and so it brings to mind a tradition from Ibn Mas'ud عنه, uh, the great companion of the Prophet when he said uh, whoever is going to follow or take a sunnah let him follow somebody who's dead uh, because the one who's alive we don't know what his end is and that was a really just an understanding amongst the people other than the Prophet who is ma'asum, like all the Prophets. Uh, they're protected uh, and infallible in that way. They, they, they don't have character flaws. They don't have uh, any sinfulness. They, they live transparent lives. Nobody lived a more transparent life than the Prophet We know uh, the arguments in his household. We know everything that happened. We, we know uh, how he bathed, we know how he slept, we know how he got up in the morning. We actually literally know how he rose from the bed. Um, he lived a transparent life, and, and in that way he becomes an exemplar for anybody that wants to find the best way to live. But other than the Prophet nobody is free uh, from... Uh, trials and tribulations and also uh, just simply hypocrisy. Nifaq is a very real phenomenon. One of the things that when I was studying Arabic many, many years ago, this almost 40 years ago now, uh, one of the, I, I read the maqamat and there was a, uh, which is a genre in Arabic literature. It's very beautiful that it's, it was actually designed more for vocabulary acquisition. So I, but I preferred Al Hariri is the one that everybody reads. But I actually really liked Badi'u Zaman Al Hamadani. But he had a character in there, and the character was a religious charlatan, and so and he was very eloquent. He would go to the mosques and he would say, "I saw the Prophet Sallallahu and he told me to come to this mosque in a dream." And he was so eloquent, and everybody would be mesmerized by his eloquence. And yet he was a complete charlatan. Or he would go, for instance, he goes to a place and he tells them, that they have a drought, and he tells them, oh, I was told uh, by the Prophet to come here and to, to lead you in the, in the rain prayer, and rain will come. But there's a condition that the sajda has to be extremely long. And, and so he leads them in the prayer, they go into sajda, and then he gets up and robs all their houses and leaves them in sajda. So... I, it really struck me at the time. I, I didn't really understand why he would do that. But I came to realize later that he was actually warning people about a character. This is a character that's very common. Uh, Tartuffe, one of the great plays by Moliere, the comedic French uh, playwright, Tartuffe, which is really worth reading because it, it's about a Jesuit, uh, a complete hypocrite that comes into a house and this man believes him to be this religious saint and this guide. Meanwhile, at every opportunity, he's trying to seduce the man's wife. And the wife knows, but, but the man won't listen. He won't listen to her. Her telling him this man is a complete fraud. Again, this, this is because this character exists. And one of the problems with religious frauds is that because religion is such a, 
an exalted thing for believers and human beings. They can't imagine that somebody would actually lie about something like that because they themselves couldn't do it. They, they couldn't find it in themselves to tell a lie about God or about a dream. I saw the prophesize him in a dream. That to me has always been a red flag when people uh, say those things. It's, it's just a red flag. Whether it's true or not, it's a red flag for me because I think people shouldn't share those things easily uh, except with, you know, maybe a teacher or something like that to find out what it means. But um, so it's, it's quite tragic when these things happen. So this man, this Indian uh, preacher has really caused this problem inside the Christian community. And, and some people end up actually losing their faith. And which strikes me as very strange because there was a atheist um, many years ago, and for decades he was one of the leading atheists. Uh, I think his name was Anthony Flew, and he, he wrote all these books, Why There Is No God. And all the atheists hailed him and put him up as this great teacher, and here's our hujja, this is our proof that there's no God, this great philosopher who uh, knows everything, and he's so smart, so of course, there can't be a God when somebody as brilliant as this man says there's no God. And then at the end of his life, he ended up converting to Christianity. And suddenly all the atheists, they didn't become Christians. They didn't suddenly revert to, oh, uh, the leader has, has changed sides. We must change sides. No, they just said he's, he's looking at his death and he's just hedging his bets. I mean, they explained it in other ways. But they didn't change their faith in nothing. They still believed in nothing, which is quite extraordinary. So for people to, who say they believe in something, then when their guy uh, switches sides or turns bad, they lose their faith. That doesn't make sense at all. But the problem is that people put too much faith in uh, celebrities. They put too much faith in leaders. and. Every human being on this planet is under God's microscope. And until they're dead, we don't know the outcome. We don't know. There were people that were companions of the Prophet who actually left Islam. Umar Habib's husband, he, he, he became a murtad in Al-Habasha. He didn't come back with the people. So there, there will be people that leave Islam. There might even be imams and people that you looked up to who might, in this time of great confusion, end up telling us they don't believe in God anymore or in Islam. How, does that, how should that affect you? Well, if you're a believer, it shouldn't affect you at all because we don't worship men. I mean, even the Sayyidina Omar, when the Prophet died, that incredible situation where Sayyidina Omar was... He couldn't. He said, "If anybody says he died, I'll, I'll, I'll take his head off," because they couldn't imagine it. They never imagined that he would die. And Abu Bakr got up and, in that incredible moment, said, "Whoever worshipped Muhammad, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, just know that Muhammad is dead. But whoever worships Allah, know that Allah is living and never dies." I mean, what an incredible presence of mind at that moment. The Prophet is a messenger, and we love him with all our heart and our soul, and we hope for his intercession on the Day of Judgment. But he is a messenger. He is delivering a message. And that message is, La ilaha illallah. And that's what you have to hold to. 
You have to hold to that with all your heart and not let the vicissitudes of time upset you or turn you away because somebody fails to live up to your expectations of what they should live up to. And I, I'll give you an example. There's a, there's a wonderful story in, in Herodotus, uh, the great Greek, they call him the father of history. He's a great uh, Greek historian. But he tells a, so a story of Croesus, who was the king of Lydia. And Croesus was considered the richest man of the ancient world. They actually had, had a proverb, uh, richer than Croesus. It would be like today saying he's richer than Bill Gates. I mean, this was a just a, a man of immense wealth. He, he led the Lydian Empire, which is now in, in Turkey. And uh, he actually conquered the Greeks, took tribute from them. But uh, Herodotus tells a story where Solon, the great lawgiver of Athens, he, he was an extraordinary philosopher and, and created the laws that really enabled the Athenians to live in, in peace uh, for the time. And he goes, he, he ends up leaving political life and wants to travel the world. So he, he goes to Egypt and, and, and visits Lydia. So he, when, when he gets to Lydia, and he had a great reputation, Solon. So he goes into Croesus's palace and Croesus, uh, the great Solon from Athens is here. So he shows him all his riches and takes him to the treasury and shows him all his palaces and everything. And he's spending these days with him. And then at one day he says to him, Who's the happiest man you've ever known or you've ever heard of? And he said, that would have to be Tellus. And Croesus says, who? He said, Tellus. He was an Athenian general. Uh, he had beautiful and good children. He lived to see them grow old. Uh, he lived to see his grandchildren. They all survived childbirth. And then he died gloriously in battle, defeating enemies of the Athenians and was hailed and honored by the Athenians as a great man. He said, well, then who, who, who after Tellus? And he said, oh, that would probably be Cleobus and, and Beton. And he said, Cleobus and Beton, who are they? He said, they were two youth who, when they couldn't find the oxen to take their mother to the temple, which was 90 miles away to celebrate uh, a religious f festival, they actually harnessed themselves to the cart and out of filial piety, took their mother uh, those 90 miles. And when they got to the temple, they, they dropped dead. And so they were honored uh, for their filial piety. And, and, and to this day, they're still honored there. And then he looked at uh, Solon. And he, at this point, he was thinking, this man's a complete idiot. And he said, well, what do you think of me? He said, oh, no, we could never determine your happiness until you're dead because a man... We, we never know what's going, what, what the vicissitudes of time will bring, what tragedies could fall upon you. So we, that's not something we can determine. Croesus thought he was a complete idiot at this point. Um, and later, Herodotus tells us that he goes, he wants to invade Cyrus, uh, Kirush, the, the great Persian uh, king, who some say is Lulqarnain. Um, and, and he goes to the Athenian Delphic Oracle and he asks them, should he pursue that? And the Delphic Oracle, in its usual enigmatic way, says, oh, well, if you, if you cross this river, you will def defeat a great empire. So he takes that as a green light, like April Glaspie when she told Saddam that the 
Americans have no interest in, in Kuwaiti-Iraqi disputes. That, he took that as a green light. Little did he know how that would change. So, so at that point, he thinks, oh, he's going to defeat Cyrus. But he doesn't know he, it's his empire that he's going to destroy. And so he, he crosses and then Cyrus uh, defeats him in battle. And then to punish him and to, sh to show the Lydians and all the kings around that they shouldn't mess with Cyrus, he orders that he be burnt at the stake. And so they create this funeral, this uh, pyre, and they, they put him on, on the stake and, and they, they light the fire. And as it begins to burn, uh, Cyrus is watching this and he hears Croesus call out, Solon, Solon, Solon. And Cyrus wants to know what he's saying. So he tells him, put out the fire. Harada says it actually rained at that point. But um, then they, he brings him down. He asks him, well, what were you saying? He said, I was remembering a very wise man whose wisdom I did not understand until this moment. And it's, he's a man that I wish every ruler could have a conversation with. The point of that story is, again, you don't know until people are dead, their lives. People have horrible scandals and things affect them. And if you look at somebody like, there was a man that my, you know, my father studied with, Mark Van Doren, and he had a son who was a brilliant man, Charles Van Doren. And uh, he, he, he had a, a terrible scandal. He was, had an illustrious career ahead of him, but it was cut short by this scandal on a television quiz show where he was pretending to know these answers and didn't, and ended up destroying his career and, and scandalized a lot of people um, because he was, a lot of kids were starting to study because they were so impressed with all his knowledge. But he is, the story they never tell about him, and, and Redford did a film on him uh, called The Quiz Show, and the story they never tell about him is he spent the rest of his life editing the Encyclopedia Britannica. Like he, he became that man that he was pretending to be as a type of penance, which is quite extraordinary. It's, a, it's an amazing story. But this, this is life on earth and you cannot, you, you have to be focused on God. You cannot be focused on people. And if, you, if you're fortunate to have a good teacher, then that's, that's wonderful for you. But if, you're, uh, if you have the misfortune of having a bad teacher, just know a few things. One, that there's something to be learned from that. Because I've had, I've had teachers that ended up really disappointing me, but I've also had some incredible teachers. And I genuinely hope that I never disappoint anybody. But th this is life on earth. And you can't, you know, as... as uh, uh, you know, the poet said, you say you lost your faith. You know, it's not like that. You had no faith to lose and you know it. I mean, that, that, there's a lot of truth in that. Like what kind of faith is it that you can lose it? Uh, you have to hold on to your faith and certainly faith in, 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 in Allah and his messenger. So when these things happen, it's just really important to, to hold on and just know that this too shall pass that um, whatever happened, if there was real abuse, if you were the victim of somebody who, uh, for instance, sexually abused, like the, unfortunately there's some of these um, so-called teachers end up even um, violating uh, women or children or whatever happens. It happened in our air. There's a Quran teacher that was 
actually turned out that he was molesting children. These things happen. They're great uh, calamities. But if we followed the sunnah of the Prophet, if somebody in invited you to their hotel room, that's a red flag. You just don't go. It doesn't matter who it is. And you, and you think, oh, well, he's a sheikh. He must know. No. You should know. You have to know the Sharia. And, and I'll just, there's, there's a really interesting story. There was a, a West African sheikh who had uh, some Mauritanian students. And he, he always showed deference to the Mauritanian students. And the other West Africans were, they just were upset by that. And one day they asked the teacher, why do you prefer these Mauritanians? And he said, well, it's something I know about them. And that was his answer. But then time passed, and when the day of Arafah came, uh, the day before, he told all of these students not to fast on Arafah. And so the next day they came, and he asked, who's, who's fasting? And all the Mauritanian students raised their hands. And, and then the sheikh looked at them, and he said, didn't I say not to fast tomorrow? And, and they said, you did, but the Prophet told us we should fast. And, and so he just looked at the others and he said, this is why I prefer them, is that they're not blind followers. Like, you don't be a blind follower. You have, God has made you a sovereign individual. You cannot give up that sovereignty for somebody else. You have to hold on to that. And you have to use your brain. And Sufism, unfortunately, is, is one of those uh, sciences that can be grossly abused in the wrong hands. And that's why, again, traditionally, unless you had studied Sharia, you really weren't supposed to go into uh, Tasawwuf because you have to have the criteria. You have to know the criteria uh, to judge things. Imam al-Ghazali said something extraordinary. He said, don't know the truth through men. Know men through the truth. And, and this is why it should not affect your faith when you see these things. In fact, it really should just confirm the fact that this is about you and God. It's not about you and uh, whoever that teacher is. So unfortunately, there are abusive uh, teachers out there. This is a time of abuse. The Prophet ﷺ warned us about munafiqun. Uh, you know, and he said, the thing I fear most for my ummah is a hypocrite who has an eloquent tongue, somebody that doesn't do what they say. So I just, I hope people really think about this because I, I think it's a really important issue and and um, it's it's very tragic and it's very sad. And for people who have been victims of these things, I, I completely can understand, but you can't let this affect your faith in that way. If anything, it should, it should wake you up to the importance of having first and foremost a relationship with your Lord and, and with your Prophet him through following his, learning his teachings and following his teachings. And then being, having discernment and being able to discern things. Red flags are real and you should be able to discern when something's not right. Um, and, and that's why the Prophet said, like, listen to your heart, even if people say otherwise. Because one of the problems, and, I, and I'm going to talk about this, inshallah, about groupthink and the problem of groupthink, because it's a very serious problem. 
it's a human problem, but it's, it's certainly a problem in religions when people think as a group as opposed to individuals. And uh, we're raised up as furada. The Quran says we come to God on the day of judgment as individuals. We're not judged as nations. The judgment of nations is in this world. But the, but the judgment in the next world is no soul bears the sins of another soul. So that's really, really an important thing. And this could even be your own spouse, unfortunately. I mean, you could be in a relationship and then that relationship could turn you like, why is God doing this to me? Well, think of Asya. I mean, Asya was in the house of Pharaoh and she was being abused by the greatest tyrant in human history. And she's asking God to build her a house in paradise. In other words, this house is, this worldly house is a house in hell. But I know that you're real and that this is a trial. And so just remember that, that people have suffered greatly. There's people right now in horrible situations. There's people right now, I mean, I, I feel sorry for them, but there's people right now in, in sexual trafficking. And some of them have faith. They're praying to God to get them out of those situations. And, and so I think it's also important to keep things into perspective. Uh, because we can, we can, our, our own private little experiences can become so distorted in the grand picture of things. And the Prophet Sallallahu reminded us of the people of the past. They had their tongues cut out. They were torn from limb to limb, and yet it didn't diminish their faith. And he mentioned that uh, in that famous hadith, uh, when, when he asked him to make dua, he mentioned that your people that are, you're you're impatient to stajilun. You're trying to hasten something that will come in its time. So stay on the path, hold to the path, adhere to the path. Don't deviate from the path. And if your teacher deviates from the path, don't follow them. Follow the path. In fact, I think one of the best examples of somebody who had false teachers and yet that did not prevent them from continuing their journey. In fact, they saw that as part of their journey is the great Sahabi Salman al-Farisi because Salman عنه, was born in Persia and he was actually raised as a fire worshiper and he, he served the temple. He actually learned he, the, the, the rites and traditions of the Zoroastrians and he served the temple. One of the things that the priest told him is the fire never went out. But he knew that it did and they would relight it. So he saw that there, there, there was something false about that. But then uh, there were Christian Nestorian churches in Persia and he would hear them singing and praying. And he thought, this religion's better than our religion. And he, and he told his father and his father actually at one point tied him up in the house to prevent him. Uh, he was afraid he would go join the Christians. And then he asked the the later he asked the Christians where their religion came from and they said Syria and so which meant Sham at the time which included Palestine and these places, the greater Syria uh, and so he set out to Syria and then he came to uh, when he got to Sham he asked who was the best person in this religion and they said oh that's the bishop of this church so he went there and he told the man where he was from, and he said, I want, I want to learn this religion and serve you. But the bishop was a bad man. He was a false teacher. And he saw him, he would exhort people to charity, and yet he would hoard 
gold. So he was doing the opposite of what he was teaching. And so Salman then went and looked for another teacher. And then he met a, a Christian who told him that the hour is coming soon when the last prophet will, will come forth and he's in Medina. And so then he set out for Medina and he was actually tricked by people and they enslaved him and sold him to a Jew. And so, I mean, this is incredible trials and tribulations, but he was so inner focused that he wasn't saying, oh, this must be, I'm sincere and yet here I am enslaved. He didn't, he didn't do that. He didn't lose his faith. He was searching. And when he came to Medina, he, and he, he heard from the Christian the signs that the Prophet had. So because of his sincerity, Allah took him through bad teachers and false religions to the true teaching and to the true teacher, the Prophet him. So I think he's a, a really remarkable example of just recognizing that you can, you can have bad teachers and that's part of your path to God. One of the first things, in fact, it was the very first thing that I translated when I got back to the United States, was a little text by Sidi Ahmed Zarruq called the, uh, I called it Foundations of the Spiritual Path. I mean, he called it Usul al-Tariqatina, which are the, the roots or the principles of our spiritual path. And it was basically a way of determining uh, a true teacher from a false teacher. So uh, we're going to have a link, inshallah, to that paper that was published in Seasons, which was the journal before Renovatio. So if, if you want to look at that, it's a short piece, but it's very useful, and I hope people derive some benefit from it. Barakallahu feekum. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.